Well, good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 21, and I promise at some point we will get there. This morning, I want to share with you uh, two very different views of faith. So as soon as you get yourself to that part in the Bible, Genesis 21, I want you to kind of hold that place in your Bible. I want you to sit back, and I want you to relax, and I want you to engage with me in this. I'm going to share with you two very different uh, views of faith. The first is a faith that uh, comports with what we read inside of the scripture, a faith uh, like what the Bible defines, okay? A proper faith. The second is going to be something in our world that masquerades as faith, something that oftentimes the non-religious world or the anti-religious world uses as um, a way to attack people of faith, uh, primarily Christians. The first uh, definition of faith is, motiv- is, the, uh, is what motivated Abraham in every story that we've walked through with him. Uh, this is why righteousness was credited to him, because he truly adhered to the first definition. The second, though, uh, is again a modern ideal, and at best, the second ideal will leave you disappointed or disillusioned. Uh, so, so it's very important that we understand these. As we look to Genesis 21, first, um, let's look at how God defines faith. Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. If there was a Bible passage that anybody who's listened to me talk on for the past 12 years under, knows that I'm going to talk about, it's Hebrews 11, 1. Um, faith is a big deal to me. Uh, faith, I believe, without it and without a proper understanding of it, we're not saved people, Right? I think, we're, I think we're wasting our time if we don't fully understand faith. So, so it's no news to anybody who's been around here for a while that I'm going to go into this. But faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And one of the things or the thing that I point out repeatedly about that verse is that faith has both substance and evidence. Faith has both substance and evidence. In the story of Abraham, the substance consists of promises that were communicated to Abraham by God himself, okay? So substance would be, again, God saying, I promise I'll do X. The evidence is in the repeated and perfect faithfulness of our God, right? He fulfills everything that he promises. He never falters. He never fails. Remember, church, if you... If you struggle with your faith, if you struggle with your ideas, just remember this. God is always faithful. This, is an e- this really is this kind of concept of faith that has substance and evidence, a, a promise given, and, and fulfilled promises as being the definition of faith is easy to understand, which makes it odd and even frustrating when it becomes misrepresented by the world. Each one of us lives by faith each and every day. We do it when we trust a person's word. We do it when we flip on a light switch. We're all doing it right now as we're sitting in chairs. This is faith. There is a substance and an evidence. We believe chairs will hold us, right? 
There are some chairs I don't believe will hold me. But anyway, right? There, so we believe the chairs will hold us. And so in that belief, what do we do? We take action. We sit, okay? As a matter of fact, the unbelieving world, contrary to its own view, operates by faith every single day with some of the greatest adherents of living by faith being those who claim science alone. You see, those who trust in science don't actually trust in science. They don't actually understand their own system. They trust rather in the laws and the repeatable phenomenon that make science a viable pursuit. Okay? That's what they're actually trusting in. And they trust in it so deeply that they act as though it will never falter. Because in some sense, the laws they discover won't falter. It's really important, right? Don't ever let people tell you, as a person of faith, that you live by faith while they live a life by reason, reality, science, or truth. We are all living by faith. Here is the reality. It just depends on whom or in whom or what you are placing your trust. That's it. Everybody in this world is living by faith. On the other side, because there are two sides of faith, and this is not faith misdefined yet. I haven't even gotten there. There is also the substance and evidence of the one's uh, actions in response to what has been spoken, to what has been promised. So God is faithful, but God gives us substance and evidence, and then we respond to that, and our response has substance and evidence. What I mean is that to claim that you have faith in God will come with your own evidence, right? With your own substance inside of your life. Think, think about this. This is why James tells us that faith without works is what? It's dead. He also says that faith without works is no faith at all. Okay? It's no faith. This too is true of everybody in the world, even outside of a relationship with God. Without the evidences of one's affections, whether by word or deed, how could another person know that you love them? Have you ever thought about it? How could the person sitting next to you know that you love them if they don't ever express that actual love? This is substance and evidence, and they get to trust that that's true. Without actually sitting on the chair, how can we know, or how can we claim, rather, that we actually have faith that the chair will hold us? Now, brief side note here. It is possible, it is possible to believe that a chair will hold a person and not trust it for yourself. Do you know that? And my fear is that that's what many people do with God. They know that God can be trusted, but they don't trust him for themselves, okay? Now, it seems absurd when I bring up the chair idea, but... I believe that this is exactly what has happened. It is possible to believe that a chair can hold a person, but not actually trust that it will hold you. And this, too, is what we do with God, that we, we don't trust him and we, we blame certain things. We say, well, I don't have enough time walking with God. How many of you know God is patient with that? Just walk with him. Do you know how many times Abraham got this mess wrong? Do you know how many times you get it wrong? Your wife or husband will tell you. It's okay, right? So will your kids, right? 
we often, or what I have found, is that people often don't place their trust in God uh, because they fear him, or they, or they don't know that they, they suppose he won't come through, or they say things like, well, God has proven himself faithful to others, but I don't know that he will for me. That's interesting. Because if you applied that same reasoning to everything in your life, you might say, well, I know that my mom loves my dad, but, and I have the evidence of it. I see it every day, but I'm not sure she will love me. Does that seem absurd? It should seem absurd because it is, right? And yet we do this with God. We do this a lot. I know that people say things like this. They'll say things like, um, I know there's a God or something that is controlling the world, but I just don't know for me. I don't know what is true for me. Well, another part of truth is a real challenge for people, and that is true is true. It's not true for you, right? So um, uh, if you say this in your life, this is my truth, stop it. This is my truth. Please stop it. There is truth or is there, there is not truth. But if you say this is my truth, I will find you and smack you. Okay? I will. When you least expect it to. Right? Um, when the substance or evidence are there, what I encourage people to do is start resting in God. Start resting in God. It's going to be hard at times, but you can do it. I promise to you that it is the only way. So we've seen the right response along, uh, along the way with Abraham, um, and we know that it hasn't been perfect. Uh, we know that faith is not, uh, we know that our faith is not always perfect, but we have seen faith, and we have seen faith in very real circumstances, and that's what I want to remind you of when we go through uh, Genesis 21 today. But let me share with you a few perspectives regarding faith from the world and not from the Bible, okay? Some get it, half of them get it, and half of them do, do not. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. That is a proper understanding of faith. What do you know if you're taking the first step? That there's a step. Just because you don't see the top of the staircase does not mean you are believing in something without any evidence. You just don't see the top of the staircase. It's really just that simple, okay? I have told you many times, people like to say things like this when it comes to faith. They say, you should jump and let the net appear. And what is my response? Don't jump unless God told you there's a net, right? Or take a parachute, right? I love this quote. It's just fascinating. It was, um, dang it, George Bernard Shaw, who said, um, he said, there are optimists and pessimists in the world, and we need both of them. Optimists invent the airplane, and pessimists the parachute. I love this. It's really, it's really absolutely amazing. Why did I quote that? Because I like it. Okay, there you go. So Martin Luther King Jr., faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. The reformer Martin Luther said, faith is a living, daring confidence. Highlight that in your mind. Confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain 
confidence, assurance, certainty that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. That is a proper definition of faith, or a proper understanding, rather, of faith. Author David Elton Trueblood said this. He said that faith is not belief without proof. And I cannot stress this enough. Faith is not belief without proof, no matter what the world says to you. Faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservation. But I would even go further with his definition, and that is God's faithfulness even works with your reservation. Don't Don't get this wrong, though. It's not that he's like, you can have reservations all the day long. He wants you to trust him fully, right? But he is gracious in your reservations. He is a faithful God. So those are proper definitions of faith, right definitions of faith. They really do work. On the other side of this, Uh, people just don't understand what actual faith is. And there is a problem with accepting faulty definitions of words, and I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, Professed Christian Blaise Pascal once said, and this this is incorrect, church, belief is a wise wager. Faith is not a wager. Belief is not a wager. It's either based in substance and evidence, or you shouldn't believe it. And I'm telling you, you shouldn't believe things that you don't have substance and evidence for. This is really important, okay? So Blaise Pascal says, belief is a wise wager, granted that faith cannot be proved. This is a challenge, church. When we start to, um, if you're in a battle and you give up ground, it's going to take a lot of work to regain that ground. You are already trying to advance and to win your war, but if you give up ground, now you have to take that ground back, and then you have to move forward. We do this all day long with words. My phrase, my statement is always this. Both love and faith have been misdefined and mystified, right? And that, that is, we make love into some ooey-gooey mystery, or we... Um, we, ooey gooey mystery, or we make uh, love into whatever your feelings say. We do the same with faith. We make faith into some sort of mysterious thing that God grants to a select few, which is absurd, or we define it incorrectly and the world takes it. So again, professed Christian Blaise Pascal says belief is a wise wager, and then he says, granted that faith cannot be proved. That's not granted. That's not granted. Now, what is our proof when we talk about faith? What is the proof that the top of the staircase exists, though we can't see it? Because that's what staircases do, right? So in other words, the proof comes from experience. The same thing is true with your experience with God. If you walk with God every day and he shows himself faithful... What is your faith in? His faithfulness. Your faith is in his coming through every day, every time, okay? So Blaise Pascal, again, belief is a wise wager. No, it's not, sir. Granted that faith cannot be proven, I do not grant that. He goes, what harm will come to you if you're able, if you gamble, sorry, on its truth 
and it proves false. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that God exists. That was Blaise Pascal's full quote, right? If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. That's fine. But again, that's not faith. That's this, right? This is not faith. This is you going, I don't know. I'm just going to wing it. In this way, hear me clearly, you are an agnostic. Don't claim you're a Christian. You're an agnostic. You have no clue and you're hoping. You're like, yeah, let's wing it, right? That's a problem, okay? So we walk through and you're just an agnostic. You got a challenge with that, right? Okay, William Wordsworth, he says this, faith is a passionate intuition. Eh, wrong answer. Faith is not your gut feeling, for heaven's sakes, please. I hope it's never your gut feeling, right? I hope your gut feelings may be informed by truth, but faith is not a passionate intuition. Okay? Please, that is not faith in any solid thing. Tom Robbins said faith, and listen to this, this, is, this just blows me away because this has been adopted by, gosh, by thinker after thinker after thinker. Uh, in the atheistic world. Faith is believing in something you know isn't true. Faith is believing something you know isn't true. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's funny, right? That doesn't make any sense, but that is the working definition that many people use. Richard Dawkins, famous uh, and militant atheist, says this. He says, faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. What definition is Richard Dawkins using? A faulty definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the what? evidence of things unseen and yet he looks at this and goes well if you're going to define faith in the world as faith is believing in something you know isn't true well then it's an excuse he'd be right if the definition's wrong but that's not the definition and finally the great google google defines faith as complete trust or confidence in someone or something it's actually right but then they suck Okay, so watch. And this is correct, right? But, <laughs> listen to this. Google goes on and says, strong belief in God, this is the definition of faith, strong belief in God or in the doctrine of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Now, of course, you should know that apprehension can be defined several ways as well. Uh, one way that we say we have apprehension is when we have anxiety or fear about something, right? But the other way actually just means understanding. Apprehension can mean understanding. But notice what Google does subtly. What Google does is says that faith is a strong belief in God or in the doctrine of a religion based on spiritual understanding rather than on what? Proof. What are they doing here? Spiritual matters, real things. Spiritual matters, the real world. This is, this is a problem, okay? This is a problem. 
So when we look at faith, it is really important for us to understand what faith actually is and what faith is not. Because if we don't do that, we're going to get into stories in the Bible and we're going to say, why does Abraham do this? Why do people do that? And if you believe it's doing something without evidence, you're going to literally think everything that these people do is just random nonsense or crossing their fingers and hoping they don't die. But they actually do everything, Abraham is doing everything to walk by faith. So, finally, half the sermon is over, and we can jump into Genesis 21. Here's what the scripture says. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. What, what is that? What is that allowing Sarah to have? Faith. Promise. She can have faith. But you're right. The promise is a baby. Okay? It's really important. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah received and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. So every Monday night, we do jujitsu around here. And in order to do jujitsu, we have to clear the chairs and we have to throw out the mats on the ground so that my old body doesn't get broken. Anyway, so, so we put these mats down and we do this jujitsu, right? And each Monday night, I have a time where I sit down with Miss Sterling and we meet and we're talking through discipleship uh, ideas and, and understanding those things better. And then we come in and we move chairs and we put down mats. It's really awesome. Well, when I'm doing that, <clears throat> when I'm moving chairs, I like to play music, okay? I like to play music. Well, while, one day, while we were sitting in the office and we're talking through discipleship stuff, I said something. I don't even remember what I said, but Sterling looked at me and she said, that sounds like something my grandpa would say or grandparents would say. And I said, well, thank you very much, right? Now I feel really old and I don't like it. Okay. So then we move into the auditorium, and I'm listening to music, and I've been on this Christopher Cross kick for quite some time now, right? And he's just a fascinating artist. I don't care if anybody knows who he is. But anyway, fascinating artist, right? And I'm listening to this. Right after she said this, we came in as I'm listening to music, and she goes, that sounds like something my grandparents would listen to. And I'm like, I swear, child, I'm going <laughs> to... She's not a child, but anyway, I was really irritated. Anyway, why do I share that? Okay, so Abraham in his old age, I can relate. That's it. That's the whole point of that, right? And that you better watch it. Anyway, so okay. So Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Now, let's get this in our heads. How could you generate meaning... In this situation, what might you, we've been talking about this for the past two weeks, what might you conclude that verse 2 could mean? So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, listen, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Could you generate the meaning that God told him that day, that specific time, that was what was going to happen? You could generate that meaning. That's not at all what God did. There's just an appointed time in which God gives a son, 
okay? There was an appointed time in Abraham's life. Why I bring that up is because as you journey this life walking by faith, God is going to tell you things. He is going to promise things. He is going to promise things that you're going to read in his word and they will be true for you, okay? And you're going to walk by those promises. But here's what you're going to struggle with. When they don't happen in your timing, you're going to struggle, right? And you're going to wonder what's going on. And then you're going to come back and you're going to go, at an appointed time, God was clear with Abraham. Why isn't he clear with me? He wasn't clear with Abraham. He's told him he'd have a son. Here's a general vicinity of what's going to happen, okay? This is when this is going to go, okay? So maybe we're talking about the fact that in a year from now, we will have, you will have a, a child. But the point still remains that that wasn't specific either, it's like, okay, you mean to the day? Should I wait for it? What is going on? How many of you feel like you struggle with this when it comes to God's promises? You're like, when are these things going to happen? You struggle with it. Everybody does. That doesn't mean you stop having faith. That means you seek God more, okay? So verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. You know what Isaac means? means laughter, but we have gone through Isaac, uh, we've gone through this uh, theme of laughter for quite some time. A couple weeks ago, I asked you, how many of you know you can laugh and mean different things, right? You all know what a sarcastic laugh is. You all know what a laugh of disbelief or doubt is. You all know what a laugh of joy and humor is, right? All those things. Well, in this story, everybody's laughed in pretty much every way possible, including Sarah laughing in her doubt that God can actually do something, okay? Which is what? Which is Sarah knowing that God is faithful, Sarah knowing that God made a promise, Sarah knowing that God comes through with his promises, and yet she struggles. This is true for everybody in this room, and it's all right. It's all right. We do this, okay? But when the fulfillment comes... They name this child Isaac because laughter seems to be the most fitting reality, right? Then Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, that's a, that's a pretty old time, right? Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Verses laugh at me for trusting in some crazy promise that still isn't coming true. There are times when you're going to walk out a life of, of faith and there is going to be things that don't come true and you're going to struggle and people around you are going to mock and they're going to laugh, they're going to sneer at you, whatever. Walk it anyway. Walk it anyway, because what you're trusting is actually the one who makes promises, okay? That's what you're doing. You're trusting the God who makes promises. So mockers and scoffers, they're going to come, but you need to make sure that you're able to press through in those times, especially when you have mockers and scoffers who define faith in really absurd ways. You know what you have? You have faith. That's a belief when you know something isn't true, and you're like, What? And so you back down. So God, made, uh, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. What, a, what an amazing thing that God comes through with this promise. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? 
Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. As he listens to Christopher Cross, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Okay, so we've got this beautiful climax, or you would think climax to a story. There's been a promised seed. There's been a ton of time lapsed inside of this. There's been Sarah laughing at God. Sodom and Gomorrah has been melted down, right? All of these different things have have taken place. Abraham's still wondering what's going on. They tried to take the promise into their own hands. They have Hagar. Hagar has Ishmael. All of these weird pieces of the story play out, and then finally what might appear to be the climax. That climax is going to come next week. But what appears is that God comes through with his promise. Every time in the scripture that God comes through with his promise, here's what you need to do. You need to put a check mark in your mind of one more way and one more time in which God has been faithful because then you have evidence and substance on which to base your faith. Amen? That's, That's what you have. And it's okay. Do I have faith that um, if, I, if I ask my dad for help working on a car, do I have faith that we will get to the bottom of what's going on? Yes. My dad is gifted in those areas. I have faith that he's going to do it. Why do I have faith? Because I've seen him do it a thousand times. I've seen him do it a thousand times. Okay? How much more can we rest in God who is flawless, who never, never fails? Right? Okay, now let's turn to an obscure part of this story, but it's going to relate to faith still. Now, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore, she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. Now, whose fault was this whole ordeal? It was Sarah's. What is she appearing to do right now based on how you generate meaning? She seems to be petty. She seems to be really not trusting God. But look at what happens in this. Look at what God says in this crazy story. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. Did you know that Abraham loves Ishmael? Do you know that Ishmael was circumcised just like everybody else? It's a very important piece, guys. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Notice he says lad there. It's not the idea that this kid is a baby right now, right? Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. You'd think if she was telling him something really, really bad, that God would go, nope, we'll do something else. Or maybe God is just simply overseeing the fights that would ensue. I don't know. But the point is we generate meaning for those things. And here's where faith comes into play. Abraham loves his son, Sarah has now come to him, now that she has a baby boy, and she's like, out with her. She's gone. Abraham's going, this is your fault, woman. He's probably not saying that, but that's what I would say, right? This is your fault, right? And then he's going, what am I supposed to do with this? And God goes, listen to your wife. Listen to your wife. Now, before all the women in the room, 
highlight this verse and become the happiest people ever, right? Remember that there are passages in the Bible that are stated within a context, right? And they have a meaning. It does not mean, husbands, that you should not listen to your wives. But it doesn't mean that this is just the blanket rule, okay? So please be careful with that. Husbands, you should actually listen to your wives more than you probably do already because, well, you should. Anyway, okay. I'm not doing that to save my face. I'm just telling you it's a wise thing to do, right? So he says you should listen to her. For through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. Here is where faith comes in for Abraham. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away and she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. Okay, so Abraham has learned what of God? God makes promises, God keeps promises. Abraham waited for a son, he tried to expedite the process, God said no, he waited for a son, God gave him a son. Everything is good here, right? Everything is good. He's finally bringing this thing to, uh, to bear. Now, when his wife, when Sarah wants this woman gone, and same with the boy, Abraham is now faced with one of the many tests that are going to come. And this test is, what is he going to trust God with? And in Abraham's case, he has to trust God with everybody in his family. He really does, okay? He has to trust God with Sarah when it comes to foreign kings. He needs to trust God with Ishmael because of what he did, because God even cares for the mistakes we make, and he, and he begins to right the, those mistakes and even the consequences that, that fall. God is caring for that, or Abraham is concerned about that, and then and, and Abraham is going to be challenged with his son Isaac, okay? So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water, gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, gave her the boy, and sent her away. She departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now we read this passage and we're just like, this is the stupidest story and it's just rude and how could this ever happen and where is God in all of this? Remember, God has already made a promise. He's going to make a great nation. Remember, this is not much different than God making the promise to Abraham and saying, just drift off into the desert somewhere. I'll do it all for you, right? That's pretty scary too. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Now, what meaning could you generate from that? What's the size of Ishmael with that phrase? Sounds like he's really small. He's not. He's like 17 years old. What it means by leaving him under the bush is possibly she just, the boy was sleeping in the shade and she went over to do something, right, to grieve. But it's funny how you can generate meaning by the boy and get this idea that all of a sudden the kid is really young. If that's the case, we got all kinds of timeline problems in Genesis. But we don't, right? This seems to be what's happening. I just want you to be careful when you're reading because you can generate lots of meaning that is incorrect. She left the boy under, the tr uh, under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, about a bow shot away, for she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. Now, I'm looking at that, and if I generate the meaning that this boy is young, I'm going, 
that makes sense. If I'm looking at this as it truly is that the boy is old, and she says, don't let, don't let me see the boy die, what I would do in that situation if I were Hagar is I would do what most of you parents do with teenagers, and that is get up off your butt under the bush and go get some food so you don't die, right? It doesn't make sense. That is one of those statements in the Bible that is challenging. What do you mean, let him die? Are they just destitute out here? What's going on? It's an interesting thought, right? Okay? So she sat opposite him. She does this. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and behold, uh, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took, uh, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Now we have Hagar and Ishmael having to trust Yahweh just the same. But what do they know of Yahweh? They do know that Yahweh is faithful. They do know that Yahweh keeps them and protects them. They have faith with substance and evidence to go on. There's a promise. Okay, let's move on to this covenant with Abimelech, which is also strange. Now, it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I have shown to you, you shall show to me and to the land in which you have sojourned. What was Abimelech's view of Abraham before when he told him that Sarah was his sister? That he was a liar and that he brought all this chaos on him? Well, he maintains that, right? And he says, don't deal falsely with me. Why? Because to, to him, if it is true to interpret it that way, he felt that he was dealing falsely with him, right? So he says, don't do this. Abraham said, I swear it. But Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the well of water, which the servant of Abimelech had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor did I hear of it until today. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. Next week, you're going to learn the story of, of what Abraham is tested with with his son Isaac. But I've also asked Duane to share a brief bit about covenants, because covenants were very important in that time, okay? So Abimelech and the two, uh, the two of them made a covenant. And then Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Abimelech said to Abraham, what do these seven ewe lambs mean, which you have set by themselves? He said, you shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand so that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. Therefore, he called that place Beersheba because there, there the two of them took an oath. Beersheba and this well is still there to this day. Um, so they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. 
And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistine, Philistines for many days. Abraham is having to trust God in literally everything that he does, okay? He has to trust God in the journey out. He has to trust God in the provision for his family. He has to trust God in the birth of his family, in the creation of his family. He has to trust God with kings and, and you know, dignitaries. He has to trust God in everything. But why does Abraham trust God? Because Abraham has faith. And why does Abraham actually have faith? Because there's substance and there's evidence to what he's doing. There's commands, there's promises, there's all of this stuff. So, when you hear the story next week, it's, it's challenging, right? It's a challenging story because you, you, um, you don't even know why God would ask such a thing of Abraham. But what you have to remember as the foundation of it all is that we are a people of faith. And Abraham is a man of faith. And we are to walk by this faith. And we can because God has done a lot of stuff. And he's kept his word in everything that he's ever said. You and I get to walk out this life not believing something that we know is not true, but rather believing in something we know is true because God has been faithful. We can do everything that Abraham did I'm not suggesting you go talk to kings and dig wells. I'm just simply saying you can walk by faith just like Abraham did. In every area of your life, you can do this. And you can do it uh, confidently because there's substance and there's evidence to your journey in this life. Amen? So I want to I wanna encourage you that if you are on a faith journey in which you don't see God moving, I want to encourage you to go back, and I want you to read stories like the story of Abraham. I want you to read the stories like the Exodus and Moses. I want you to read stories like Joseph and his brothers. And I want you to, I want you to look at them with a critical eye, trying to observe the periods of time that pass between promises made and promises fulfilled. I want you to notice how long some of these promises take. But I also want you to notice that no matter how long they take, God never forgets and God never drops his promise, okay? He doesn't just go, see ya. You should say back, hi, that was awesome. Hi, mom, that was amazing. Anyway, so, right? So look at those stories. Look at those stories and realize that you're walking through a journey, and your journey may be long. It may be a long journey. It may be arduous. It may be hard. But guess what? God is faithful, and you can have actual faith in your journey. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day, for the blessings, for the care that you give to all of us. Thank you, Lord, for a record, a record of the stories in which you faithfully keep your promises, a record of a story in which you serve us, your creation, your image bearers, a story in which one of the greatest promises that you make that you had in your heart and in your mind 
before the foundations of the world came true 2,000 years ago. I don't understand your timing, Lord. I don't understand the delays. I don't understand how you observe and see your world. But what I do know is that you have never failed at being faithful. And so I thank you, and I trust you, and I pray, Lord, that you would call each and every person in this room and each and every person watching online to reignite their journey of walking by faith, seeing very clearly that there is evidence and there is substance for them to plant themselves firmly on. Lord, I thank you for all that you do. In your son's great name, we pray. Amen.